two or three announcements. First, uh, our Sunday school class, the focus class, is about to start a new study. This would be a very good time to start Sunday school class. And the focus class is taught by Melinda Carroll. And this, trash, this class will truly welcome you. Isn't that right, Melinda? All right. Um, the United Methodist men have a breakfast at Trinity, 7 a.m., two Sundays from today, on January the 16th. And Jubilee Wednesday starts back up this coming week, January the 5th at 5.30, meal and classes at Trinity. And like I said last Sunday, anyone not attending Wednesday's activities just missing the boat, just missing a great opportunity in your spiritual journey. I don't have the words to properly describe what you're missing, Brother Keith does have the words, and they're printed on the back of today's bulletin. Please read those words and let them enter your heart and soul. The, the classes are small on Wednesday nights and pretty short, but very informative. And I challenge each one of you to carry this bulletin home with you, and at least one time this coming week, pick it up and read it. We have an SPRC committee meeting Monday, January the 3rd at 6 p.m. That's tomorrow night. For those of you who don't know what SPRC is short for Staff Parish Relations Committee. That's a mouthful. Monday is a charge-wide meeting, which means a meeting will, will be committees from Trinity and First Church meeting together to evaluate the pastor and to recommend or not to recommend or not recommend the pastor's reappointment for the coming year. The individual committees usually meet quarterly in a closed session to review staff and pastor relations. Once a year in January we have a charge wide meeting to evaluate the pastor and make recommendations. The members of our committee are Layla Fergie, Becky Rousey, Nancy Canaday, Cliff Henson, Virgil Hooks, Troy Kilzer, and yours truly, Marvin Pickens. These two committees are a support group as well as a governing group for our staff and pastor. The number one job of the committee is to figure out how to assist and support the pastor and staff in their ministry. If anyone in the congregation has a complaint about the pastor's staff, now's the time to bring it to one of these committee members. If you have a compliment, bring it to all your neighbors and all the congregation, as well as the SPRC committee. Any more announcements? Let us worship the Lord. We'll start our song service this morning with number 526, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Let's stand, please. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
people who need you desperately, a people who need your grace, who need your mercy, who need your love, who need to feel that joy and that hope and that peace that we talked about at Advent. Advent has come and gone. Christmas has come and gone. We hope that Christmas is lodged in our hearts in such a way that every day is Christmas. Every day is the day that we think about the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But now as we enter into a common time, into the time betwixt and between Advent and Lent, we ask, Lord, that we would be given peace, love, mercy, grace. We ask, Lord, these things in your name and for our sake. Amen. Would you join with me as we look at the screen at the Apostles' Creed, number 881. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us each and every day of the new year. Make us strong and courageous that we may never be afraid to do our duty. 
Give us grace and courage to speak when as we should. Grant us a cheerful spirit where things don't go our way, when things don't go our way. We give you thanks for the courage to do whatever needs to be done. May thy will be done in us and by us forever. We thank you for your everlasting presence in our lives. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, the reading today uh, is from Psalm 72. Uh, we're going to read the first seven verses, and then we'll turn on the next page and read 10 uh, through 14. Okay. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness, and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound till they mourn, till the moon be uh, so more. Okay. May the kings of, of Tarish and, and of the Isles render him tribute. Uh, may the kings of Sheba and, and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when they, they call, the poor and, and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. And saves the lives of the, the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. This is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Hear the prayers of the people this day. We lift up John Dunn, our world leaders, our military, the family of Sherry Harrison, Danny Jones, an unspoken request, Ricky Johnson, Keith Fry, Julie Mathis, and I'd also like to add to that the family of Teddy White, who is uh, a lady, a member of my former appointment. She passed away this morning. Uh, be in prayer for her. We give thanksgiving for our Lord and Savior and also for fresh, clean carpet and the gymnasium. Are there any others you would add this day? Dr. Orman Campbell? I'm sorry. 
Yes, Patsy Steed, okay. Are there any others? Ah, Tammy and Craig for a poinsettia. If there are no others, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you've heard our request. You've heard our needs. You already knew our needs. Sometimes our wants, we think, are our needs. What we really need is to surrender everything that we are to you, everything that we have to you. We need to realize that we are but stewards of the gifts and graces that you have given us. The material things that we have, that we think we can depend upon, will pass away like a vapor, even as our own lives do. And so, Lord, we give ourselves over to you. We ask that you would work in our lives. We ask that you would be with us. We ask that you would move in us, that you would lift us up, equip, empower, and enable us. Help us to go out into the world and tell the world about you. And every name that has been mentioned, every request spoken and unspoken, we ask, Lord, that you would grant them according to your will and not ours. And now, Lord, we want to pray together the way you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would our ushers come forward at this time? Out of a multitude of blessings, far beyond anything we could ever deserve or ever earn or ever imagine, you have blessed us. And so, Lord, out of those blessings, we ask that you would accept back our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings, that they might be used not only in this place, but in our own backyard, in the greater world around us, and across the seas. And we ask, Lord, these things in your name and for our sake. Amen. Oh. 
Thank you, Virgil. We're going to do 2152, Change My Heart, O God, for the faith you sing, or you may follow the words on the screen. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. You are the Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome to the first Sunday of the year, 2022. It's a dreary day. It's gray outside. It's misting sleet and rain. And we wonder, why are you here? Why are we here? Well, I hope, as you see the title of the sermon, you're here to worship. I hope that you've come to worship. Let me begin with a story. Ted Malone was a radio personality, 
He was a radio personality in the western part of the United States. He was never known nationwide. He was a regional personality. But he started his career by reading poetry over the radio waves. Later, he hosted variety shows and quiz shows. During World War II, like many people did in the uh, information communications business, he became a war correspondent and he provided background human interest soldier stories for the listeners back home. Ted was born in 1908 and he died in 1989. Now, you may be asking, what in the world does this have to do with the first Sunday in the year 2022? Why are we talking about Ted Malone and who is Ted Malone? Well, as I told you, he was a broadcaster and during his broadcast career, he said, I got lots of odd requests. One of the requests he received that was probably the oddest of all was from a sheep herder. And this sheep herder was in Idaho and he wrote, and Erica will be able to relate to the story. He wrote to Ted Malone and said, Mr. Malone, I have one request of you. I'm a sheep herder in Idaho. I live by myself most of the months of the year. It's a very lonely profession. I don't have access to a piano. The only thing that I have is an old violin. The problem is my old violin has gotten so out of tune that it sounds horrible. So could you please do me the favor, and I would be forever in your debt, if you could, on a piano or a tuning fork, strike the letter A so that I might tune my violin. And Ted Malone said, this ranks right up in the top five of the oddest request ever. But he said, I did exactly what the gentleman asked. I used a tuning fork, I hit it, I let it play over the airways for a perfect A, A440 beats per second. And he said, about three weeks later, I got a note back from that shepherd who said, that sheep herder who said, thank you, Mr. Malone, you have brightened up my day and made my world a little more loving. So we never know. We never know what people need from us. So. The man said, basically, now my violin is in tune. Well, what does it mean to be in tune? Well, we know what it means for a piano to be in tune. We know what it means for a saxophone or a trumpet to be in tune. We know what it means for violins to be in tune and cellos and violas and double basses. But what in our life does it mean to be in tune? What does that mean? Does that mean I'm in harmony with everyone? Is it some new age thing where we sit around and go hmm and we all get in harmony with the universe. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being in tune with God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. We're talking about worship because it's worship that brings us into tune. The main purpose of worship is to allow us to become in tune and stay in tune with the good shepherd. A church grows Listen to this. There are five things I want you to hear. A church grows clearer by worship. We get clarity in worship. We become closer by fellowship. We become purer by discipleship. We become stronger in ministry. And we become larger by outreach. Five words. Listen to those again. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and outreach. Today is worship. You've just found out what the next four weeks, unless God changes my mind drastically and causes me to make a left turn, the next four weeks, here are our five weeks so far. Today is worship. Next will be fellowship. Next will be discipleship. 
Next will be ministry, and next will be outreach. I want to break those terms down and talk about what fellowship means, what discipleship is, what it means to be in ministry with the world around us, what it means to actually be in outreach. These five things are true of churches and are true of individuals. As we worship God, as we get in tune with God, our clarity in life becomes clearer and clearer. We begin to have a more clear picture. There's a story that was told of a lady who was kind of a busybody. That's a term we don't use much anymore, but it was in the 1960s, late 60s, early 70s. And she was kind of the self-appointed person to keep an eye on the community. Well, a new couple, a very young couple, they looked like in their early 20s at best, with one child, a baby, moved next door to her. And it just so happened that at that particular time in the world, you didn't use dryers as much as you used clotheslines. Well, she looked out one day and the young girl, who was the mother of the couple that had uh, come in next door, was hanging up her wash. And she was hanging up her sheets and pillowcases and fitted sheets and flat sheets. And as she hung them up, the lady who was kind of the self-appointed busybody for the community looked and thought, those are the dingiest sheets I have ever seen in my life. They're, they're just gray. They're not white at all. And so she told all of her neighbors that the girl next door evidently needed some help in knowing how to wash clothes because the sheets were just really dingy. And so she sent word through a mutual acquaintance that the lady might try this kind of laundry detergent or that kind of laundry detergent. Next time she hung out her laundry, she looked out the window, and it was still dirty and gray. And so she marched over to the girl's house herself, and putting a hand on each hip, she looked and she goes, did you not get my suggestion for new laundry detergent? And the young girl kind of a, a little bit upset that she was being hit face on like this, said, well, I did, and I used it, and, and I thought they were much cleaner looking and much whiter looking. And the lady said, well, they are not. And the young girl said, well, are you sure it's my sheets? She goes, well, of course it's your sheets. And the young girl said, could I come over to your house with you? And the older lady, kind of taken aback, said, well, sure. And so she came over to the house with her, and the lady brought her into the kitchen to where she could see the laundry hanging on the line and said, see, your sheets are dull and dingy and gray. To which, without saying a word, the young girl found a towel and some window cleaner, and she cleaned the windows, and she wiped them down, and suddenly the laundry was white as snow. What does that mean? Be careful when you look out your window that it's not your window that's dirty, not your neighbor's laundry. We have to be in tune. We have to be called to be in tune. We are called to be in tune. I believe that every church and every individual should have a purpose statement, a reason for being here. You should know why you're here, and you should be able to express it. My purpose statement, my working purpose statement in my life is love God, love neighbor. Not original to me. You know where it came from. Love God, love people came from Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
a purpose statement answers the question, why am I here? I'm here to love God and love my neighbors. We also should have a vision statement. What does it mean to have a vision statement? A vision statement explains how I'm supposed to show my love to God and my love to people. It explains the question, answers the question, what am I to do? Here's a working vision statement for me and maybe for us. Bring them in, build them up, train them up, send them out. Listen to that one again. Bring them in, build them up, train them up, send them out. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did with his disciples. He brought them in. Then after he brought them in, he build, built them up. Have you ever wondered how 12 not very well-educated, not very prestigious, not very wealthy men was able to turn the world upside down? Because they listened. They had relationship with Jesus Christ. He built them up, he trained them up, and then he sent them up. It's based on not only the life of Christ, but also the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even till the ends of the age. You see, as we bring people in through fellowship, as we build people up through discipleship, as we train people to use their gifts, talents, and personalities in service to God through ministry, and as we send people to witness to non-Christians, we express our love, put into action our love for God and for our neighbor. Through our actions, we become worshipers. Through our actions, we become in tune. Joni, do something for me. Play a G and a G sharp together. Just a G and a G sharp. Now play them simultaneously. Isn't that a beautiful sound? Okay, now play octave Gs. You hear the difference? That first sound is a piano that's not in tune. The second sound is one that is in tune. We as a congregation, we as a people, we as a church, sometimes sound like that G and that G sharp together. It's called a minor second. And it's a horrible sound. It sends chills up the back of musicians' necks. We as a congregation have to be in tune with Jesus Christ. If you love me, John says, you will keep my commandments. You see, worshiping God is a part of every part of our lives. It's part of our words. It's part of our works. It's part of our attitude. It's part of our actions. It's part of our possessions, our positions. We are worshipers. It is in our character. It's in our nature. It is our purpose. We are to express our love to God through worship. We are to share his love with others through worship. And in so doing, we are indeed worshiping in truth and in light. Worship, there are a couple of things I want to cover this morning quickly. Worship adjusts my attitude towards God. Now, what do you mean my attitude towards God? Listen to Psalms 95. Oh, come, let us sing in the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. This psalm 
is about an attitude adjustment. You know what attitude adjustments are, right? My dad used to be really good at giving me attitude adjustments. Some of them were more painful than others. After having been married for 44 years, Janice has taken over the task and role of attitude adjustment, and she does a great job. Sometimes, I'm going to confess, I have a tendency to sit on the edge of my bed and go, woe is me, nothing's gone right. You have days like that? Everything you touch goes backwards. You try to fix something and it breaks even worse. You try to put something together, you try to read the instructions, and you think, I don't even understand what they're trying to say to me. And you work and you try and you fix and it breaks and you finally just find yourself sitting on the edge of the bed with your hands folded in your lap going, I give up, woe is me, I, I'm useless, I can't fix anything. Well, Janice has found the best thing to do in a situation like that is to hug me and tell me everything's gonna be okay. And that's really not quite exactly what she does. Usually she walks by as I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, she slaps me in the back of the head and goes, do you not have something you could be doing? <laughs> tough love, that, that's what we call it, tough love. And I pick on my wife a lot, but I, I want you to know I cannot do what I do. I could not do what I do without her. And I know many, most of all of you feel the same way, that without that person in your life, whoever it might be, who helps you to learn there are times the trials are going to be here. Tribulations are going to be here. The scriptures say when trials come. They don't say if trials come because they're going to come. They're going to slap you in the face. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. We are going to make mistakes. And we're going to find ourselves not coming, not singing, not shouting. Now, what does coming and singing and shouting have to do? It has to do with the verbs in Psalm 95 that we read. We are called to come. They're active words. We're called to sing. We're called to shout. We're called to be joyful, sing songs of praise in every circumstance and every situation. And I know you're sitting there thinking, but you don't know what's going on in my life. Nope, I don't. It's probably best that I don't. You don't know what's going on in my life. Probably best that you don't. Because if we ever got together and comparing notes, we'd have a pity party that might never end. We'd find ourselves sitting on the edge of our chairs, staring at each other, having a pity party, feeling sorry for ourselves, not worshiping, not being in tune. The problem is, is many of us, maybe all of us, maybe most of us, I don't know what the word is, but so many of us think that worship occurs from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock for one hour, one day a week. Now, that's what we think worship is about, 11 to 12, one day a week on Sundays. What if I came to you and said, whatever name I call you by, we're only going to eat from now on, on Saturdays, from 11 to 12 o'clock. And you say, well, what do you mean? I said, well, it was pretty self-explanatory. I thought we're going to meet on Saturdays from 11 to 12, and that's when we're going to eat. And you say, oh, you mean that's when I'm going to eat with you, but I'm going to eat other times. No, stop what I said. Listen to me. We're going to eat Saturday from 11 to 12. That's it. You can't eat any other time. You would look at me like I'd lost my mind. You would look at me and think, I can't survive on one meal every seven days. Well, probably I could. I could get by for several weeks anyway. But you would think that I had lost what little mind I ever had. If I told you that you could only eat, grow, get nourishment for one hour every seven days. 
But that's what we do in church, isn't it? We come to church to worship one hour a day, one day a week. And somehow expect that to give us enough nutrient, enough power, enough strength to continue to be in tune with God for the rest of the week. We limit our pursuit of God to Sunday morning worship. And we have come to believe somehow that this is sufficient to fill us with joy and thanksgiving. Reminds me of a little boy. This little boy had never been to the circus. He lived out in the country. I mean, so far country that they had to import sunshine. It was that far back in the country. And he had never been to the circus, had never heard what a circus was, except through people talking about it just over the last few weeks. And the reason they were talking about it over the last few weeks is because they had started putting up billboards and posters talking about the circus was coming to town. The little boy asked around to find out what a circus was, and he got lots of different explanations. So he went to his dad and he said, Dad, the circus is going to be in town and I want to come to the circus. His dad said, well, that's fine, son, if you get your chores done. When the circus is in town on that Saturday, if you have all of your chores done, you can go to the circus. The little boy was excited, just like any of us would have been. And so the day came, it was Saturday, he got up before the sun was even up. He did all of his chores, took extra special care to make sure every one of them was done right. He went to his, his dad and he said, Dad, I finished my chores. Can I go to town and see the circus? His dad said, sure, son. And the little boy goes, Dad, can I have maybe some money, a quarter? And his dad reached in his billfold and pulled out a crisp $1 bill. And the little boy's eyes got bigger and bigger because he'd never seen that much money in one place because it was the early 1800s and a dollar was a lot of money. His father handed it to him. Little boy with a smile from ear to ear goes running off into town, dust flying underneath his bare feet. He gets to town, he sees people lining the street on both sides. And so he kind of works his way in through the taller adults until he gets to the front and he can see. And he was amazed. There was a guy with a big top hat and a whistle and a baton. And he was leading a marching band and the marching plan band was playing 76 trombones. And they marched down the street playing ba da da dum bum 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 ba dum ba dum And here comes the circus right behind him. There were animals, wild animals he'd only heard about, lions and tigers, monkeys, all kinds of wild animals in cages. Some of the monkeys running loose, jumping from man to man, from wagon to wagon. And there were wagons decorated with the names and the pictures of all of the things that the circus would have. And he watched in amazement as another marching band came by. And then another exhibition of animals. And it went on and on and on until finally at the very end was a clown riding a unicycle with a little beeping horn to go beep, 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 beep as he would ride around. And the little boy was so amazed that he took that dollar and he handed it to the clown and said, thank you, sir. And he ran all the way back home telling his father about what he had seen. What the little boy didn't know, he hadn't seen the circus. He'd just seen the parade. He never saw the circus. He thought he had seen the circus. In fact, he'd only seen the parade itself. Sometimes that's how we approach worship, kind of like a little boy. We come with the intent of worshiping God. What we do is we sing the songs, 
we listen to the scriptures, we listen to the sermon, we listen to the preaching, and we go through all these things, and we think we have seen the circus, but we really haven't. All we have done is seen the parade, because worship should change my attitude towards God. Secondly, quickly, worship causes me to walk more closely to God. How many of you remember the story of Thomas in the New Testament? You don't have to raise your hand, but we all know that story. Thomas, the disciples had met Jesus. Thomas was not there. And the disciples told Thomas that Jesus had appeared. And Thomas goes, I'm not going to believe it. I won't believe it until I take my finger and stick it in his hand. Take my hand and stick it in his side. Can't you hear somebody who's that, like that, like Thomas? Maybe it was you. Maybe it is you. Thomas goes, right, you've seen Jesus. You need to lay off the new wine. That's your problem. You're hallucinating. Or you've been drinking. Jesus is dead and buried. I won't believe until I can take my finger and put it in the hole of his hands. Eight days later, Jesus appeared. He appeared to Thomas and told Thomas to do exactly what Thomas said he would have to do to believe. Reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here with your hand and put it in my side and be not unbelieving, but believing. This response is my hands down favorite response in the entire Bible. Out of all the scriptures, Old and New Testament, out of every time someone responded to God, for some reason, this sends chill bumps up my spine every time I hear it. Thomas, having put his finger in the hand and his hand in the side, fell to his knees and looking up to the Lord, he said, my Lord and my God. That is worship. That is what it means to worship. When you are so taken with the power and the strength of God that you fall to your knees and you say, my Lord and my God, you're saying, do you want to send me? Send me. Tell me. You're my Lord and my God. You want me to do something to witness to someone? Tell me. You're my Lord and my God. You want me to work in this particular area? Tell me. You're my Lord and my God. And it goes on and on and on and on. When we encounter Jesus, it should change our walk with God. You see, worship is a life-changing encounter. Number three, worship causes me to seek cleansing from God. One of the effects of worship is that it purifies us. Whenever we catch a glimpse of God's holiness, we're confronted with our own sinfulness. I've told you this before, and I'll tell you this many other times. In the days ahead, I hope, as we share a long and fruitful ministry together, the cross has two directions. It has this way, left to right. It has up and down, this way. Many times I, maybe you, compare yourself this way to the people on each side of you. And as I look to my left and to my right, I think, well, I'm, I'm as good as he is. I'm as good as she is. I'm as good as they are. I've never done what they did. And so we compare ourselves left to right and we think, we're in pretty good shape. But then the trouble comes is when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And suddenly, we realize that we need cleansing. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hands that he had removed from the coals with a tongue. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Isaiah encountered the Lord, encountered the Lord God of hosts, and he's consumed by the glory of God, and he cries out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The full earth is full of his glory. But notice what happens. Isaiah is so taken aback by what has happened that he cries out. He reveals his unholiness. He says, Woe is me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And you know what God does? God takes him and cleanses, cleans, cleans him up. He takes that which is broken and mends it. He takes that which is shattered and puts it back together. He takes that which is bent and straightens it back out. God is in the life-changing business, and he that takes these things are impure. But God in his purity can make us clean and whole. Number four, worship accesses the power of God. And this is the last one. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so can neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen to those words. God didn't equivocate. Jesus didn't equivocate. Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you can do a few things. Apart from me, you can do 50% of what you normally could do. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. Apart from me, there's nothing you can do. Jesus plainly states, in God alone do we find our strength. In God, we have our power. In God, we find our purpose. In God, we find our relationship. In God, we find the power to do in our lives what God has called us to do. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says this. In him we live and move and exist. The King James Version, I like, says it this way. For in him we live and move and have our being. In God, we have our strength. In God, we have our power. In God, we find our purpose. And the way to experience that power and strength is through the worship of God. So how do we worship? We worship by continuing a close relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what worship means, to continue in relationship. Have you ever tried to drive a car without gasoline or diesel without diesel? Have you ever tried to use a microwave without plugging it in? Have you ever tried to use a flashlight with dead batteries? There's no power in that situation. Have you ever done, as I've done many times, plugged in the radio and then took the radio and shook it because nothing was working, only to find out that I hadn't really plugged it in correctly, that it wasn't connected to the power source correctly? You see, a radio with no connection is nothing but an inanimate object. It just sits there and it's of no use to anyone. We are called and charged with being plugged into the power source. How does a branch bear fruit? By abiding in Jesus Christ. How shall a Christian 
bear fruit? How shall a Christian have strength? How shall a Christian have power? By being connected to the one who gives us all power and strength. By being connected to the one who's all powerful. By being connected to the one who's the giver of life. This connection comes through worship. He is the vine, we're the branches. And unless we are connected to the vine through worship, we have no power. Let me close with these words. Over the next four weeks, five counting today, we're going to be talking about discipleship and ministry, outreach, those sort of things. We're going to talk about the nuts and bolts of what it means to be the church. What does it mean to go out into the world and invite the world to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not a relationship with you, not a relationship with me, not a relationship even with First United Methodist Church. We want to invite the world to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And we do that by worshiping God, by shouting shouts of hallelujah, by being joyous, rejoicing in all things. And again, I say rejoice. In just a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to observe Holy Communion, one of the two sacraments of the United Methodist Church, the other being baptism. And as we come, I invite you and I challenge you to come after examining yourself. Not to examine yourself to see if you're worthy because let me get you in on something. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. We're not worthy. We are made worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. That's what makes us worthy. Not anything I can do, not anything I can study, not any music that we could play, not any prayers that you could pray, not any sermons that you could preach. We are made worthy through Jesus Christ and that relationship with him. So join with me as we worship together at the Lord's table. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask more than anything else that you would continue to lift us up and to fill us with your spirit. Help us to know that we need you. Help us to know that not only do we need you, we are nothing without you. Help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are loved beyond measure. We are the sheep of your hand. You are our shepherd. We are the sheep of your pasture. And because of that, we will never, ever, ever be successful without Jesus Christ. Now, I know some people are thinking, well, I've been successful. We'll never be successful in eternity without Jesus Christ. We may have material things. We may drive new cars and trucks. We may have a huge house. We may have money in the bank, and we are worth absolutely nothing because we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is that relationship with him that determines our present and our future. So this day, help us to learn to worship. Help us to come as sinners saved by the grace of God. Help us to come as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We ask it in your name and for our sake and the people together say, Amen. Amen. We're going to sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus of Nazarene. I 
something a little different this morning.
song will be 2140 since Jesus came into my heart. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I abide in my soul for its long I have sought since Jesus came into